the fact of the matter is there's just something holding you back. Actually, more specifically, there's someone who's holding you back. There's someone in your story who you're afraid to write about. Welcome to the Find Your Voice podcast, a show where we believe in the power of the written word to create positive change in your personal life, your community, and the world. I'm your host, Allison Fallon. Whether you're an aspiring author or someone who swears they're not a real writer, we're here to show you how a regular practice of writing will help you access your intuition, make an impact, and find your voice. Join me for interviews with authors, writing prompts, and stories of how even simple words change lives. Hi there, writers. Today on the Find Your Voice podcast, I want to unpack a subject that I get asked about all the time, especially from people who are working on personal narratives or memoirs. We just hosted the Memoir Masterclass over the summer and completely sold out that class so much so that we decided to bring it back around in October. And I'm telling you, there wasn't a single person in that Memoir Masterclass who didn't have this question as it related to their personal story. And the question has to do with how you write about the people in your story who have hurt you, how you write about the villain of your story, whether that person is an ex-spouse or an ex-lover or a parent who's hurt you, left you, abandoned you, neglected you, a sibling, someone close to you who's really, really hurt you. How do we write about those things from a legal standpoint if we plan to share this story on any kind of broader scale? And how do we write about that stuff from a sort of character standpoint? How do I want to frame this story and tell the story? So all things villain, we're going to unpack it in today's episode. I can't wait. I hope this helps you write about the villain in your own story. Maybe you're one of those people out there who has always thought about writing your personal story. Maybe you're scared to call it a memoir, but it's a it's a story from your life that you want to get on the page. But the fact of the matter is there's just something holding you back. Actually, more specifically, there's someone who's holding you back. There's someone in your story who you're afraid to write about. Maybe this is the business partner who cheated you or the ex-husband who cheated or the dad who abandoned you or the mom who neglected you, the sister who betrayed you or the best friend who gossiped behind your back. Whoever it is, these are people in our lives who are close to us who would really readily identify with the character that we created, perhaps even if we fictionalized it a little bit. And yet we really want to tell the truth about what has happened to us. I get this. If this is you, you're not crazy. You're definitely not alone. This is probably the most asked question I get from people who are working on personal narratives. And while it can be cathartic to think about writing it all down, you probably wonder to yourself, how am I supposed to tell the real story? There's no possible way. And I have authors say that to me all the time. There's no way I can tell the real story. And in fact, all of us, maybe maybe not you, the, the, the crazy ones out here, we're all in our heads playing out worst case scenarios. When we think about telling these real stories, we think about the possible lawsuits. We think about the malicious ex-lover somehow coming back to get revenge. We think about a parent who's devastated to read the way that we experienced our childhood or whatever it is. We think to ourselves, you know, if I couldn't possibly write the true story. And because I can't write the true story, it just doesn't feel worth writing. So instead, we don't write it at all. 
To me, that's tragic. It's tragic to think that you might have something really beautiful from your life that you want to share, but you're holding back simply because of this other person who potentially has already victimized you enough. And what I hope that I can do by talking about this subject is to help you position yourself as the hero of your own story, to write the truth about what has happened to you in a really honest way, and to do it in such a way that is actually honoring to you, honoring to your story, even in many ways honoring to this person who may have wronged you. And ultimately, when it reaches your reader, it's going to be deeply, deeply healing for them to read. So that's the hope for today. What I'm going to do is I'm going to walk you through three different things to remember when you're writing about the villain in your story. And we'll just go through step by step. So the first thing to remember when you have a story to tell and there's a villain inside of the story is to first write the story exactly as it happened. So the advice that I give to authors all the time goes like this right now, edit later, right now, edit later, right now, edit later. That can become a mantra for you. You can say it to yourself over and over and over again. And I've said it to you even on this show before, but if you try to make strategic decisions about what to include in the text and what to leave out while you're writing, it's as if you're driving a car and you're pushing the gas and the brakes at the same time. The car is just not going to go anywhere. It's not going to make any progress and it's probably going to ruin your car (laughs) while you're doing it. This is kind of like what you're doing when you're trying to strategize about what goes in the text, what stays out, and also write down the story at the exact same time. What I want you to imagine as you're writing the story is I want you to imagine you're sitting across the table, maybe in your dining room or your living room, somewhere comfortable for you from a really close friend, someone who you deeply trust who you're telling this story to, and you feel absolutely no need to inhibit yourself. And what will probably end up happening is you'll tell a version of the story that you'll pull back on later. There may be details that you decide later to leave out of the story. But the benefit of taking this approach when you're in the writing phase of the process is I always tell writers I work with that you can't edit something that's not there. What I mean by that is if it's not on the page, I can't even tell you as an editor whether you should include it or not. And that's why we talk about, Anne Lamott says, shitty first drafts, and we say, just get it down, just brain dump. Because if you don't put it on the page, an editor can't see it and can't make can't help you make a strategic decision about whether or not to leave it in. And same for you, if you're editing your own work, you can't make a strategic decision about whether to leave this in. The other reason to right now and edit later is because when you're writing versus when you're editing, you're actually using two different parts of your brain. And if you try to do both at the same time, one cancels the other out. So when you're editing, you're using your frontal cortex. When you're writing, you're in your limbic system. And that's why you can tell when you get in like a good writing flow, people will call it the flow. That word has been used over and over again to talk about the feeling of being inside of creative inspiration and not hesitating or second guessing yourself. When you're in the flow, you're in your limbic system and your frontal cortex is just sort of checked out for a minute. Now, the minute that you start saying to yourself, oh, I don't know if I should put that there or, oh God, what is so-and-so going to think? Or, oh, that's a stupid way to say that. The minute you start doing that to yourself, you know, that's your frontal cortex cutting into your flow and it will break your flow. You can't exist in both parts of your brain at the same time. 
A third reason to just write it exactly the way that it happened is because there is an incredible catharsis that can come from just telling it like it is. Even if it comes across on the page, and I'm speaking from personal experience here, even if the first draft of your story comes across a bit whiny or bitter or whatever words you might use to judge yourself, it can feel really cathartic to just take the words that are spinning in your brain anyway, put them on the page and see themselves really clearly. Which brings me to my final point of why it's so important to write it as it happened in this first draft, because this is where the beauty of the writing process comes into play. This is where you see yourself clearly on the page. And this is where so much clarity and self-reflection can come in. It usually comes when you move into an editing stage, which I'll talk about in a minute. But when we read through that first draft, a lot of times we'll have an experience of uh, resistance or I almost call it like a, like a feeling of disgust, like, oh, I can't believe that that's how I wrote that or that's how I said it or I can't believe that that's what really happened to me. And that's a really important stage in the process because it's part of coming to terms with what is true. And maybe what is true is I've made a bigger deal out of this than it was. Or maybe what is true is what happened to me was really, really tragic. Maybe what is true is this is not a safe relationship for me to be in anymore. Whatever is true for you, you can't see the truth until you put it on the page. And that's the important of this stage of just literally writing down the story exactly the way that it happened. The second thing I want you to do as it relates to telling the story with a villain inside of it is I want you to write with a narrative arc. And some of the things that I say in this step of the process are going to sound contradictory to step one, but I promise they're not. It's just a matter of the stage uh, that you are in the process. So stage one is brain dump, get it all out. Just tell the story like it happened. And stage two is writing with a narrative arc. If you don't know what a narrative arc is, you probably learned about it in like high school English class or something. But you know, for those of us who are 20 years out of high school, if you weren't an English major in college, you may not have revisited what a narrative arc is for many, many years, and you might might not remember. But a narrative arc is just simply the shape of a story. And we teach how to create a narrative arc and how to put your personal story inside of a narrative arc in the memoir masterclass. But for the sake of brevity here, basically what you need to know is that you are the hero of your own story. This can be really uncomfortable for people to think about, but when you're shaping your story, someone has to be the hero of the story. Someone has to be at the center of it. There has to be a character who the story is following, a character whose actions drive the plot forward. And for the sake of your personal narrative, this person needs to be you. The biggest thing that you'll notice, whether you're in the editing phase and you're rereading a first draft and trying to figure out, is there a narrative arc here? Or in the case of so many of our writers who take the memoir masterclass, if you're imagining strategizing your narrative arc first before you dive into writing, the biggest thing that you'll notice is that putting yourself at the center of the story, making yourself the hero of the story, answers a lot of questions really quickly about how we talk about the villain. Because in personal stories, in memoir, in personal narrative writing, there isn't a really big spot for the the villain. The villain in a 
fiction story is important and takes up a ton of space in personal narrative, there just isn't a really big place for a villain. So it just means that the amount that you write about the villain is actually quite little. And the person who you're focused on is yourself. The thing about writing with a narrative arc in mind, and again, you may do this, you may brain dump first, get the story down on paper, then consider a narrative arc and then go back and edit. Or you may strategize your narrative arc first, then brain dump, and then go back and edit. Whichever strategy you take, that's kind of the one, step, one two, three step process. Having a structure makes it much easier for you to write the story. This is what helps you make decisions about what to keep in the story and what to leave out the story. Without a narrative arc, you really have no way to make those choices. And having a narrative arc is always going to keep you at the center of the story, which again is going to keep the role that your villain plays really, really minimal. I heard someone say once about personal memoir that there are no villains in memoir except maybe you, you meaning the hero of the story, the main character of the story. And I really like this approach because I find if you're operating with a narrative arc, this rings really true, whether you go research narrative arc on your own and try to write your story so that it fits in an arc or whether you come take the memoir masterclass and learn and understand a narrative arc so that you can fit your story inside of it. I think what you'll see is that the way a story is structured when you're the hero of the story, it really forces you to look at your own motivations, your own actions, because your actions are what is driving the plot forward, your own hesitations or lack of decision, lack of action. It forces you to take a look at those things really honestly and ask yourself, how is that moving the story? And how, if I changed my actions or changed my approach or changed my attitude or changed my perspective, how would it change the outcome of the story? So this can be a really, really powerful self-reflection tool. I think this is one of the reasons why writing is so healing for us, because what we realize is that the villains in our lives, we just give them way, way, way too much credit. We act as if they ruined everything for us. You know, they took X, Y, and Z from us. If only they hadn't been in our lives, we would have the things that we want and need. And the fact of the matter is you are in the driver's seat of your own life. And there are, of course, people who try to stand in your way and who try to throw you off or who throw obstacles in your path. But at the end of the day, you're the hero of your own story. You're the only one who can drive the plot forward. And you're the only one who gets to decide what the outcome is going to be. Okay, in step three, I want to talk specifically about editing. And remember I said before, this can go one of two ways. Either you strategize the narrative arc first, and then you brain dump and get the story on the page just exactly the way it happened, and then you edit. Or sometimes you brain dump first, and then you strategize narrative arc second, and then you edit. Either way, the narrative arc needs to be thought through before you get to editing because the narrative arc is going to help you make all of the decisions that an editor makes when they're editing a story. So a couple of things to consider when you're editing. Number one, I want you to think through what you hope happens with this book, because depending on who you are and depending on what your motivations are for writing your story, the answer to these questions, the rest of the questions I'm going to ask you are going to be really, really different. So in other words, if you are already a published author, maybe you've self-published a couple of books, or maybe you've traditionally published a book, 
and you're wanting to grow a career for yourself as an author, and the plan is to publish this book, whether self-published or traditionally published, doesn't matter, but you're going to put this book out in the world. You're going to share it with people beyond your family and friends, and you just know that you know that you know that that's what you want to happen. The way that you edit your story is going to look a little different than if you're someone who's writing this story for your own personal growth and your own catharsis and to help make sense of your life and to create a map of your experience. So depending on your motivation, depending on where you want the story to go, the choices that you make moving forward are going to look a little bit different. If you're considering publishing on a wider scale, I want you to consider some of the legal implications that all authors have to think about. Now, if you're traditionally publishing and you're writing about pretty much anyone else in the story, the chances are that in order for the publisher to allow you to share this story, this information about this person, you're going to have to get what is called a a publishing permissions slip signed. And it's just exactly what it sounds like. It basically means that the person who you're writing about, you'll send them a permission slip that has some legal language on it saying, you know, I give the author permission to tell this story. You'll send that person the snippet of the story or a couple of snippets of where you talk about them. You'll have them read it and then they'll sign off. So when traditionally publishing, most of the time, publishers really like to have their legal basis covered and they want to make sure that anytime you're talking about someone who is identifiable in the text that they've signed uh, permissions. So when I say identifiable, that's important. It basically means that if the average reader could pick up the book and identify the person that you're talking about, then this is someone who's going to need to sign off on their presence in the book. That means no matter how you change your mom's name, for example, she's still your mom. It's going to be a really quick, easy Google search and the average reader could figure out who you're talking about. Same with siblings or ex-husbands, ex-wives, etc. If you could really quickly with a Google search figure out who this person is talking about, then the publisher is more than likely going to ask you to get this person's permission. Now, if you're self-publishing, you have a little bit more leniency, but I still want you to consider the legal implications for yourself. If you're self-publishing, because you're not under the banner of a publisher, you take on all the legal ramifications of whatever might happen to you for telling this story. So think of this, if these big publishers want to avoid a legal complication and they have this rule about getting permission signed from everyone who you talk about, the wise thing to do, I think, is to consider that same sort of boundary for yourself. Just decide that most people who you want to talk about in the story, it would be safest if you could get assigned permissions from them. Now, before you freak out and say, there's no way in in hell that this person is going to let me write about them, so now I have to go back to square one and just decide never to write this book, before we jump there, there are a handful of other legal things that you can think through to help protect yourself against a lawsuit. There are certain things that you when you talk about they open you to a lawsuit versus other things that you can talk about in which you'll be a little bit more protected. I am not an attorney. I don't practice law, but I have had some personal experience with this myself. And so I even teach a whole section in the memoir masterclass where I talk specifically about legality around telling these complex and difficult stories. I don't have time to get into all of that here, but I do think these next two questions or suggestions that I'm going to make 
will be really helpful for you. So don't decide you're not going to write your book. Don't give up on this altogether. Hang with me for just a few more minutes. The first thing I want you to think about is I want you to think about who the story follows. And this has to do with the narrative arc. When you're editing the book, when you're reading through the first draft that you wrote, where you just brain dumped, you just told the story exactly the way that it happened. I want you to think about who the story pays the most attention to. Who is the story following? And again, if you're making yourself the hero of the story, if the story is following you and it's following your actions, then you should be talking about yourself far more than you're talking about anyone else in the story. And I I touched on this briefly before, but I'm going to camp on this for a minute here. A lot of times people get really uncomfortable with this and they think like, I don't like being the hero of the story. That bothers me. I don't really think of myself as the hero of the story. I'm definitely not a hero type. And maybe you feel like, you know, God is your hero or, or whatever else you have complicated relationship with the idea of being a hero. What I want you to know about heroes in the context of narrative structure and narrative arc is that heroes in the story actually aren't all that heroic. (laughs) They are heroic in the sense that by the end of the story, they finally get the lesson that they're supposed to learn. But throughout most of the story, they're really the ones who are kind of fumbling around, trying to figure it out, trying to get this right. And they keep messing up and they need a lot of help and they need tons of support. And eventually they get there. Eventually they learn the lesson, but it takes them the entire story to learn the lesson. So in the beginning of the story, they have what's sometimes called an inciting incident. That's what sort of kicks the story off and and sets story into motion and pushes them out of their ordinary expected world into an, an unexpected world where everything feels different. And then for the entire story, they're trying to figure out this lesson they're supposed to learn. They can't learn it. They can't learn it. They keep falling. They keep failing. They keep trying to figure it out. And by the end of the story, they finally, finally learn what they're supposed to learn. And If that doesn't sound familiar to you, then I don't know that we would be friends because I can just tell you over and over and over again in my life, that feels like the story that I've lived. There's a lesson that I'm supposed to learn. I'm stumbling and bumbling my way through it. I'm trying to figure it out. I feel like maybe I'm getting there, but then I take two steps backward. And then finally, 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 I seem to have maybe made some progress and learned my lesson. So if that helps you reconcile it all with this idea of being the hero of your own story. I really hope that it does. But what I want you to see is how putting yourself in that position makes it really unnecessary to talk too much about the villain at all. It doesn't mean that you distort the truth. It doesn't mean that you don't talk about what happened to you. It just means you don't focus on the motives of the villain. You don't focus too much on what they do next or where they're at now, you don't need to focus on any of that. None of it matters. And that leads me to the third thing that I want to say in this section, which is I want you to think about what your reader needs to know. Now, again, this is going to change if you are writing for a broader audience versus if you're writing this to maybe pass down to your children or to share with a handful of family and friends. But if you're sharing with a broader audience, I want you to think about who the one person is who you hope will pick up this book and whose life you know would be changed by reading your story. And I want you to imagine that person reading the book. And as you're editing, I want you to think through, does the reader need to know this piece of information? Do they need to know this piece of information to understand the story? Do they need to know this piece of information because it helps them understand 
why the hero is acting the way that they are. Do they need to know this piece of information because there would be a major piece of the timeline left out? If your reader needs to know this piece of information, then leave it in the text. But if your reader doesn't need to know it and you're just including the piece of information because it feels good to you to kind of tell everyone what a bad guy this person was in your story, then consider leaving that part out, uh, holding it back just for yourself. It may not belong in the manuscript. And if you're writing for a smaller group of family or friends, or even just to pass this story down to your children. First of all, I commend you. It's, it's a lot of work to put together a personal narrative and it's really, really rewarding work. But I think that people who are in the process for the sake of personal growth, I just have a lot of respect for people who are willing to put in the work for themselves and not necessarily for the sake of a paycheck or any kind of public attention. But if you're writing for a smaller audience like that, again, I want you to think through, if it's your children reading this book, how do you want them to remember this person? And that doesn't mean, again, I'm not suggesting that we leave out vital details or tell the story in an untrue way. Think of this like framing, you know, like if you were going to talk to your young kids about a difficult subject, you would talk about it in a different kind of way than you would talk to your best friend or you know, maybe a sister who you really trust or something. If you were venting to your spouse about something, you're going to talk about that thing in a really different way. If you're talking to a neighbor down the street who don't know that well, or to your children. So just think about who it is that you want to pick up this book, who you hope reads it, how you hope they're transformed by reading your story. And then ask yourself, does my reader need to know this detail? And I can tell you from personal experience that there are a lot of details that were really hurtful and harmful to me in my life that I've left out of personal stories because they just aren't important to the reader. And it feels good to write them down in that first draft. And it can feel stingy. I don't know. That's the word that comes to mind when you read that draft back to yourself and you think like, oh God, I can't believe that happened. Or I can't believe I let that person do that or get away with that. Or I can't believe... I responded that way. I really regret that I did that. So it can feel kind of cringy when you read it back. And then when you're editing, you can say, you know what? This doesn't matter for the sake of the reader. I'm going to focus on myself. I'm going to place myself as the position of, in the position of the hero of the story. I'm going to consider what my reader needs to know. And of course, I'm going to consider the legal ramifications and try to protect myself because no one needs to be dealing with a lawsuit. I hope that helps. And honestly, the biggest thing that I hope for you is that no matter who you are and no matter who your villain is in your story, I really hope that you choose to write the story down, regardless of whether you ever publish the story or share it in a broader context. It's so deeply healing to record your own personal story, to see it really clearly, to see it from a new perspective, to position yourself as the hero, to recognize and see that that the action, the plot of the story really revolves around you. It revolves around what you choose to do and what you choose not to do and how you decide to frame your story. You have much more control over the ending of your story than you actually think. So if you need help outlining your story, join us for the memoir masterclass this year on October 11th and 12th. Thanks for listening to the find your voice podcast. We hope this inspires you to pick up a pen and start finding the words that will change your life, your community and your world. If you liked what you heard today, share with a friend, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And if you haven't already, check out our website, findyourvoice.com. 
Subscribe to our Monday Motivation for free and get inspiring writing prompts in your inbox each week. Until next time, happy writing.